This episode of Confessions of a Creative Director is brought to you by Highmark Tech Systems, the structure behind the world's best exhibits. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Confessions of a Creative Director. The only show created by a creative director for creative directors. You know the spiel. Anyway, folks, uh, I'm recording this uh, intro here um, on Wednesday, June 3rd. I recorded this latest episode um, late last week, right before everything sort of all hell broke loose, um, basically. So we're living in a in a different world, although I guess you could say we're living in in the same world, given some of the things that continue to happen um, to our black friends. Um, they still continue to be subjected to systematic racism, police brutality, um, all kinds of other societal ills. Uh, I know the COVID death rate is is higher among that group. Um, yeah, it's it's tough being a black person in America. So um, yeah, I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about that. Um, our guest on the show today is Anastasia Kuryatova, who is uh, a creative director for Advantage. She is awesome. She's a lovely person who's done a lot of cool and interesting things. She's licensed art. She's put on uh, fashion ev- events. She's a big fashionista, by the way. And she's basically our culture vulture in the office. And in our conversation, she had a re- really interesting take on the role of brands as moving towards being sort of the patrons of the arts, right? Uh, sponsoring culture and music and and other things, and, and it got me to thinking, I wish we would have touched on this during our conversation, but it got me to thinking about the role of brands as activists. And you're starting to see this a lot um, within um, a day or so of what went down. We started to see messages from uh, Nike, of course, uh, Amazon, Vans. Really, everybody started making a statement about it, and it was it was really nice to see these big brands coming forward and, 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 you know, saying something about it, um, which is, I think, a, a big step. Obviously, in the grand scheme of things, that kind of stuff is not, necessar- not necessarily that important. But in a way, it is because it starts to make a, a statement that this has got to stop. I mean... These are the people that are supporting these companies that are purchasing their products, that are using their services. The brands realize that um, there are bigger issues here at play that have to be addressed because they're affecting their consumers. And that sounds uh, like I'm saying it's a you know done for for purely um, you know capitalistic reasons, but. It's not. It's it's really these brands saying that they care about their their customers, their consumers, their clients, 
and uh, they're trying to say enough is enough and, and, and seem to be wanting to get more involved to try to change things in whatever way they can. Now they're on the hook. You know, they've said these things publicly, so now they're on the hook for making these things reality, whether it's about hiring more African-Americans uh, in their own companies or investing in black businesses or investing in uh, black banks, uh, whatever it might be, I think now we're really on the hook. They're really on the hook for being part of the solution to this uh, terrible situation. So... So with all that said, uh, let's get into the show. Let's hear what Anastasia's got to say. And uh, before we get started, one more just sort of note here. Uh, hey, this this podcast is new to me, so I'm still I'm still learning stuff. So um, you'll hear that uh, the audio is less than perfect. It's, it might be a little distorted at times, but uh, lesson learned. So just keep that in mind. But uh, let's get rolling with Anastasia Koryatova. Hey, AK, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Nice to see you. Good to see you. Uh, for the folks listening at home, we actually can see each other. We're using this really cool uh, platform called Squadcast, so we can actually see each other. It makes for a better conversation, but it's nice to see you. I see you got your full, uh, your cool, funky headphones on, and per, and per the, uh, you know, per the whole premise of the show, I see you have your cocktail too. So tell us, tell us what you're drinking today. Well, I decided to do a throwback to your famous bar cart that we missed from the office. So I made the classic Paloma. This is a non-spicy version because I'm, you know, keeping it mellow over here, but still reminds me of work. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And I'm actually having the same thing, sort of. I didn't, I skipped the, um, I skipped the squirt uh, soda, but I am a, doing a, um, I'm using Topo, which is always so good. A mm -hmm. uh, little lime, fresh lime, uh, silver tequila, and I like to hit it with a little bit of salt. So cheers. Happy Friday. Cheers. Happy Friday. I know. And as I mentioned to the listeners earlier, you and I work together. We've been working together for what? What's it been now? It's been over a year for sure, right? Yeah, it's I think just over a year. I started with you in March of last year, I think. So we've had a wild ride together so far. Yes, we have. Yeah. And it's it's gotten pretty wild over the last few weeks. But you and I are, are still in, in, in contact. So we're talking and I know, you know, I know you're doing all right in your your swanky pad there in West Hollywood. You're keeping it keeping it real, keeping it legit. <laughs> Sure am. I even got a new roommate. I adopted a cat during quarantine. So, you know, I'm nesting now. <laughs> That's right. What is the cat's name? I forgot. It's Misha. So it means um, teddy bear in Russian. Okay, excellent. Yeah, we're going to get into that, your, your whole heritage. I want to hear uh, some more about that. But uh, So I always start off the show. We, we, we knock the uh, whole drink out of the way, but I always start the show by asking people, to describe what they believe the role of a creative director. So in your words, tell me what you think of the role of a creative director is. Um, great question. Uh, I think you and I had talked a little bit about this before, but um, I really think that um, it's important to view the role of a creative director as almost a, a way to be a guide or a Sherpa for brands to be the best versions of themselves. So. 
you know, I think like we're lucky as creative directors because we have access to so many people all at once. And we really need to be kind of thoughtful and, and thinking about what is our like macro role in shaping culture and, and how can we best guide, you know, our brands and clients that we work with to, you know, be the best versions of themselves. I'll make like a little bit of an art history analogy, which also kind of taps into my background. But um, I kind of think of like brands today as the modern Medici family. And, you know, we're sort of in the beginning of this creative and technological renaissance that I think is going to get even more advanced by the current COVID changes and how we work and how we use digital. And so, like, I think our job is to really kind of keep the brand in mind and, and kind of guide them on how to make the right decisions and how to innovate and how to, like, do something to contribute to society in a broader sense. So I think like, you know, we talk about this as well, you know, as the creative director, we really need to think about the the big idea, the reason why we're asking a consumer to change their behavior. And our job is to make that message really clear to them. Yeah, I like that. I, I definitely like that answer. And it's interesting because, um, you know, my first two guests talked uh, a lot about a creative director in terms of managing the team. And that's an important part as well. But I like that you talked a little bit more sort of about your role as the client sees it. So that's, that's really interesting. And, and something that's really interesting as well is what you touched on about brands being sort of the patron uh, of the arts and music and culture going forward. So I want to, I want to touch on that, but let's park that for a second because I think this is relevant, but can you tell the listeners a little bit about your journey to becoming uh, a creative director because you've done a lot of interesting things. You have uh, an art background. Uh, you've worked for one of the biggest experiential and event companies or one of the coolest, really doing some really interesting things. So tell us, tell the audience a little bit about your journey to how you ended up at Advantage. Yeah, definitely. So, um, kind of as I teased out, I, um, in undergrad, I studied visual studies and urban studies. So, um, you know, I kind of always had an interest in public events and, and kind of creating experiences and performances for people. And right after college, I graduated during the previous recession. So fun times, but, um, I got a job in New York after college working for an art licensing agency. So um, we managed artists like Keith Haring and Jean-Michel Basquiat and did their collaborations with major brands like Uniqlo and Reebok to launch a t-shirt line or a sneaker line. And then wow. I would work with those brands to kind of um, launch them um, globally. So we would work with their marketing teams at the store in Paris and Tokyo and kind of develop a story around the artists and how to educate people around the artists. So it was a way of kind of getting out the art out to the public. And so from there, you know, I, I've always had an interest in sort of the creative worlds and art and fashion and music. And I, I was actually introduced through my old client at Uniqlo to Made Fashion Week. And they were looking for a sponsorships producer for their um, upcoming fashion season. And I didn't even really know what that meant. And I had never really worked in events before to, in that capacity. But I sort of, you know, they took a risk on me. I got the job and I started working um, in a production capacity, but with a lot of like really interesting brands. I threw a rave for Motorola. I did a concert with Kendrick Lamar. Um, you know, it was an amazing experience to have without really knowing what you're doing, <laughs> but I learned on the job. Um, and that's kind of how I got exposed to the world of experiential. So that was a freelance job. So I decided I wanted to get an agency job and started working at Civic Entertainment Group. So they're an experiential agency based primarily in New York. Um, they have an office in LA. And 
I kind of hit the ground running with working on um, a t- some TV networks. So I worked on some Fox shows, some A&E shows, and then there I also ended up working on Snapchat and Ford later. So kind of that's that was sort of my foray into experiential as an industry. And then again, I, I like I mentioned, I started off more as a account manager producer. But this agency was pretty unique in that they didn't really have a fleshed out creative department. So, you know, everyone was kind of a creative, which I don't think is the best approach, but it really worked for me because I got a chance to write ideas, pitch to clients, really own kind of the projects that I was working on creatively and production wise. And so I was able to understand how to come up with ideas that could be built and for what types of budgets. And, you know, I think I was also really lucky at that time because when I was working there, we hired our first female creative director at Civic, Kendra Meyer, who was a big mentor to me. And she was the one who really like encouraged me to keep working on creative. You know, she kind of brought me in on her team when she could on projects. And I really learned a lot from her. And then I kind of have to shout out to some of the other sort of female creatives that have taken um, a chance on me. Uh, my old boss, Yadira, who... Dear Harrison, who you know, who is how we met. Yep. Um, she and I kind of moved out to LA together and we started that journey together at Civic. And then after that, I really got the confidence to start applying for creative jobs. And I got, I, um, the next job I got was a freelance role with Gabrielle Kessler, who you also know, who is another female creative director who I really look up to. And I think having these sort of role models is really what inspired me to keep pursuing it and believe in myself that I, I could become one as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then as legend has it, a, a really brilliant, a really brilliant executive creative director um, took another big chance on you, man, this guy is like a legend in the, in the industry. Uh, and, and, and according to the legend, you were applying for an account job at uh, advantage, um, and, and this creative legend said, "Wait a minute, you're not a you're not an account person. You're going to hate this job." And and then I kept you in mind for this other role. And when it when the creative director role came up, I called you and said, "Hey, I got the job for you." So tell me a little bit about that really brilliant person that I'm that I'm referring to. Uh, exactly. Way to set it up. Way to set it up. Well, I gotta say, thank you. And honestly, I could I could kind of flip the question back to you and be like, you know, what what made you, you know, think that, you know, I was right to take a chance on and and you know, consider somebody without like a traditional creative director background. Yeah, I mean, I think in just in talking to you for the few minutes that that we talked when we were um, when you were interviewing for the other job, I just love that you had the the production chops and you knew what it it takes to put on events. So, so I knew that you knew all that sort of back end stuff, which is very important, which I have come to learn and, and really rely on because you know it's one thing to come up with these ideas, but it's another thing to execute them. So I love that. And then just in your creative presentation that that you put forward, I could just tell that you were a creative director, even though I believe your title at the time was like creative strategist or creative producer. I can't remember something like Mm -hmm. that, but I just knew that that's what I needed and that's what I, that's what I wanted. So uh, again, when that other job came up, I'm like, yeah, this isn't for you. And, um, (laughs) And who knows what you thought at that point, but um, then several months later, or maybe, I don't know, six months or, or whatever, when we had the opening, I was like, I know who I'm going to call. And we put you through the ringer. We made you do a test assignment. 
and you came in and presented it and everybody loved you. And, you know, here we are a year later. So yeah, it's, it's, it's actually a pretty great story. So I guess you have good taste, Jaime. I do. I do. I like, I like how you flip that around. I was, I was, I wanted my moment of glory for being this genius, you know, that, that spotted the diamond in the rough and you turned it around and made it about you. Wow. I like that. That's, that's why you're so good. That's why you're so good. That's the, that's the sales skills, you know? Um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, what you touched on at, at the very top. I'm I'm curious to know a little bit more about your thoughts here about brands being sort of the modern day uh, Medici uh, family, right? They're they're becoming the patrons of the arts in a sense. Do you really think that? Are you really seeing that? I guess I've seen some brands that have done a good job of that, and then I've seen other brands that have they say that that's sort of their mission, but then they kind of bastardize the the end product and you know, plaster it with a bunch of their logos and things like that. But, but tell me about that. Or, or is it something that you think is evolving and is going to be a bigger part of what brands do? I think, um, yeah, that's, that's an interesting point because I think it's definitely not in a place where, you know, brands are kind of see themselves in that role yet, but I think that they have that opportunity and I think a smart brand would, um, use it wisely. You know, an example of a project I worked on personally was the Twilight Concert Series, which is the free community concerts here in Santa Monica Pier. And my client at the time was Snapchat, who's based there. So, you know, we really worked with them to take a community concert and elevate it to making it like a larger Los Angeles based event where people from all over the city were coming to it. You know, our first concert, we we booked Khalid before he was big and had, you know, 100,000 teenage girls show up and dent my rental car. But, you know, we gave back to the community. <laughs> right. um, and then I think, you know, there's definitely there's definitely examples of it, you know, not being as successful as possible. But I think right now, brands really have an opportunity to step up and act as leaders and support what they think is important, whether that's, you know, brands reacting to kind of consumer needs during the COVID crisis, or, um, you know, brands that are, um, you know, thinking in the future of how do we solve problems like, you know, how do we bring people, how do we make people safe? How do we bring people back to events? You know, I love the idea of a brand like Tito's converting from, you know, making vodka to making hand sanitizer or even, you know, our current client Hyundai with their job assurance program, which they implemented during the last recession and brought back, you know, I think people are looking to brands to step up as a, as a leader and a role model right now. Yeah. And just piggybacking on, on that, uh, on our Hyundai client, they also opened up some of their facilities to do testing and things of that nature. So that, that was pretty cool as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so how does the, I guess if I'm a, if I'm on the brand side and I say, okay, I I buy it, I want to be a patron of the arts or culture, how do they see a return on investment and do they need to look on return on investment or return on experience in a different way? Yeah, I mean, I think um, an opportunity that we have now um, with kind of events becoming more hybrid and digitized is that we can also track and measure that. So, 
I think that's kind of an important thing to consider is, you know, you, you can sort of develop a relationship with a consumer. And if you're inviting them and kind of their RSVPing, you can, you can track your relationship with them and you can have your in-person conversation with them on site and then follow up digitally or socially and continue kind of a dialogue where you're actually listening to them and you're responding to what they're asking about. I think that's kind of the opportunity to really see results and to to understand new consumers and existing consumers better for brands. You know, what other metrics do you think that we should be thinking about? Because personally, I think, especially in experiential, right, we need, if we're all about sort of storytelling and creating these experiences, I feel like maybe we need to increase our efforts to capture stories of people um, going through the experience or being changed by the experience. So that could be, you know, testimonials, uh, or it can just be some way to capture, you know, emotion pre, during, or, or after an event. But can you think of, or have you thought of other ways that um, brands can potentially measure, measure beyond just the numbers of people coming through the space? And, you know, are there any other things that you can think of? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of really interesting technology to tap into. Um, there was an art exhibit in the UK recently or a few years ago that actually tracked kind of consumer faces as they looked at art and and analyzed their reactions and in, in time. So you could really, in 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 real time, see how your consumers are reacting to you. And it could be an anonymous basis. You know, you don't have to you don't have to know who it is, but it's an it's their honest facial reaction. You know, you're gonna get the truth. So that's one interesting opportunity. And then I think the idea of like, you know, creating a reason for your consumer to want to sign up with you and incentivize them to, to have a conversation with you where they're on your mailing list or they're, they're, you know, they know that you're listening to them and that's why they, they want to contribute and give you feedback because they know that you'll actually make those changes. Yeah, that's great. I love, I love that example. Uh, We'll have to post that. Maybe we can find that example and put it in the show notes. Uh, for people to check out. Tell us a little bit about your personal creative process. Is there is there such a thing? Uh, how do you attack a a challenge? How do you break it down? Uh, obviously, we've been working together, so I know a little bit, but I'd love for you to share your thoughts with the uh, with the listeners. Yeah, I mean, I think my favorite part of the creative process is kind of like the daydreaming aspect of it. Like when you get a new project, you know, I kind of like to start with like, what's the craziest, coolest, most outlandish thing I would want to have happen for this? And then kind of scale it back from there. Um, so, and then, so I think like in the beginning, the idea is to come up with, you know, as many no wrong answer ideas. And then, um, and then, you know, I like to work collaboratively. So then, you know, I like to bring in the rest of the team and really like think to provide different diverse perspectives so that you can get, um, multiple opinions on, on a project and, and then kind of go into the collaborative process, whether that means, you know, working with your team to flesh out an idea or working with the clients or working with even partner agencies that often happens in experiential and like being able to be a a collaborative partner in the process. So I think you have to feel strongly about your idea, but I'm also not very precious about my ideas. You know, I know that there's always another idea and then we can make something else work. It's not like, you know, there's only one solution for every problem. So I think there has to be a, in the process, there has to be an element of kind of standing up for what you think is important. And then, you know, still being able to compromise and work with other people. 
Yeah, and I, and I and I will attest to that being part of your process. I have been impressed with the fact that you you aren't precious about your ideas, like you know, a creative directors. Not me, of course, but uh, creative directors are are sometimes notorious for just falling in love with their own ideas and digging their heels into the ground. Um, but I have noticed that you can pivot and and you do take you do take the feedback from the rest of the team members while still kind of you know keeping an eye on the big picture and being the creative director. But I have noticed that, and I think that it's a, it's it's actually a really good trait in a creative director. What are your thoughts? And I'm I'm curious to know because I have often fallen into this and it seems like maybe you've avoided this, this trap, but what are your thoughts on when you're working with, you know, junior people or people that report to you, how do you avoid trying to be the hero? How do you avoid trying to save the day and coming in and just, you know, like, okay, well, you guys are struggling. Let me just solve it. Because that's been something that I've wrestled with in my own uh, career because I've thought that that's what I I'm supposed to do. Uh, you know, I have since realized like, hey, your job is not only to help with that process, but it's really to mentor and and build other people up and build up th- their skill sets. But how do you do that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's um, it's something I'm learning and working on as well. But um, to your point, maybe this sounds a little bit sadistic, but you kind of have to let them suffer through it for a little bit which can be frustrating. Sometimes it takes a lot longer than it would have taken you to do it. But I think you kind of have to develop some patience and, and, you know, wait to see what their ideas are before kind of imposing your own thoughts on them. Because I think, you know, a junior team can really bring a lot of interesting things that, you know, someone like you and I, who've kind of been through the experiential ropes a bit might not be thinking about, you know, whether that's integrating new technologies like TikTok or, you know, bringing in, you know, some of our team is working on AR filters. Um, I think the key is to kind of keep encouraging them to pursue what they're interested in and then them being able to kind of bring that in. And again, to my point about like diverse perspectives, bringing in different types of ideas that you aren't thinking about and giving them the space to execute them. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's that's great. How do you personally keep motivated or, or, you know, sort of on the creative prowl? Do you have any, you know, online haunts or where do you go to sort of gain inspiration or see what's happening? Is there anything that that you uh, that you look at frequently where you draw inspiration from? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in the normal world, I enjoy going to a lot of art exhibits and even like festivals and experiences and really kind of being out there physically. So um, it's been an interesting challenge trying to find inspiration, you know, from the comfort of your home. But I found that there's actually a lot of really interesting things happening right now. Um, I mean, I follow a lot of inspiration accounts on Instagram, like What's On or Artex Design or Diet Prada. But a lot of um, even museums now are putting on interesting digital experiences. Like you can screen art films that you normally would never see outside of a museum setting online. Or, you know, like um, the MoMA is doing art classes. You could take an art class with Abby Jacobson from Broad City. So I've been doing kind of a lot of these like online experiences and and doing actually more artwork at home. So kind of putting that into practice, whether that's like collages or watercolors or really like going back to using my hands and doing manual things because of this sort of reaction to having to be on digital all the time. You've been doing some of these things at, at home. You haven't, you haven't shared any of your, your artistic um, endeavors. You'll, you'll have to, you'll have to send me some photos of, of those 
uh, yeah, I'll share, I'll share some of the watercolor pieces. It's okay. been a so, new hobby. <laughs> so that is interesting. Um, how do you think that you're going to take that whole experience back to when we do go back to uh, the office? Do you think that's going to kind of change your process a little bit? Because I, you know, within the last, I don't know, a couple of years, I've been really interesting, interested in, in creating stuff, artifacts, whether that's literally post-it notes or there's been times we haven't done it in a while, but there's been times when we built stuff with Lego or we've, you know, made little prototypes of things or whatever. Do you think that that's something that you'll bring back to the office and put in your creative arsenal? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think collaging is really interesting as a way to kind of create mood boards. You know, I think we're all used to seeing, we get so used to seeing decks and PowerPoint presentations. It's a, it's a bit, you know, desensitizing. And if you think about how, like, say the fashion world does it, they make physical mood boards. They put stuff up on a wall and people can come by and see it and understand like the vision of their, the season. And, you know, I think like that's something that can be helpful and, and just as a way to sort of keep the team aligned, if they can all see something together um, and react to it, it kind of brings you back to like the studio critique days of college where you, you know, put up something on the wall and everyone had to physically kind of come up and look at it and touch it and, and feel it, which is pretty cool. We don't get to do that anymore. Yeah, we need to, we need to bring that back. So I'm going to take a little break here to thank the sponsors. Before we do that, let's do another little toast. Cheers. Thanks for, thanks for joining the uh, podcast, Confessions of a Creative Director. When we come back, I'm going to run you through your paces. We're going to do the two-minute hot takes I haven't shared these with you, so hopefully I'm going to, maybe I'll stump you on a couple of these, but uh, we'll be back with uh, more with Anastasia. This episode of Confessions of a Creative Director is brought to you by, insert your company name here. I'm actively looking for new sponsors, so if you'd like to sponsor the show, shoot me an email. Go to cdconfessions.com. Learn more about the show and uh, drop me a line. Love to hear from you. Now, back to the show. All right. And we're back with uh, my very special guest and uh, colleague, Anastasia Kuriatova. Uh, welcome back. Did you, uh, you. Did, you make yourself another, did you make yourself another cocktail or what did you do in that, in that break? Oh, you know it. It's already in round two. Hear the, hear the clinkling. I do. I, I, I like that. I like mm -hmm. that. Okay, so I'm trying to introduce some new segments into the show. Uh, this one I had a lot of fun with uh, last time. It's called Two Minute Hot Takes. I'm going to set a timer for two minutes. And within these two minutes, you need to give me your gut reaction. You need to shoot from the hip. You need to answer these questions. They're basically like, you know, A or B questions. And you need to tell me which one you choose. And then you also need to tell me a little bit as to why so you'll you'll get the hang of it here i'm going to set the uh, timer for two minutes if you if you answer them all there's 10 of them within two minutes you will win a valuable prize i don't know what the valuable prize is but i'll you know i'll send you <laughs> i'll send you something maybe i'll send you some cat toys or some watercolors or something i don't know we'll figure Perfect. it out Love okay it. i'm gonna set the timer uh, and it's funny because you touched on a couple of these things so we'll, we'll see we'll see how you do and there's also uh, we haven't we haven't talked about your background, by the way, which I, I do want to talk about. There's one question that's going to put you on the spot. So here we go. Starting the timer now. OK, AR or VR? 
AR. Uh, I think it's more it's more universally accessible, and I think it's easier for people to learn to do. Excellent. Quibi, flop or fabulous? Flop. I don't need another, another network to watch. Instagram or TikTok? Instagram. I think I'm aged out of TikTok. Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. You talked about TikTok earlier, so I thought maybe I did, you did. All right. Hot yoga or goat yoga? Oh, you know I'm all about the goat yoga. Have you done it? Have you done it for real? Oh, I've done it. I had hoof marks on my back. I did it for real. <laughs> okay. New York chic or California chill? Oh, this is a hard one for me. Uh, I think now I'm all about California chill. We're in loungewear season for the rest of yeah? the year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I'm not sure if I buy that, but pen and, <laughs> pen and paper or laptop? Pen and paper. I've, I've gotten back into journaling too. Yeah. The new, new manual. Yeah. Okay. I love it. LaCroix or bubbly? LaCroix, hands down. Pumplemouth. Yeah, better. Okay. Raven the Desert or Vegas Day Club? You know, I, you know, I love, I love a desert rave. Desert rave all the way. The great outdoors. Oh. Okay. Trader Joe's or Sprouts? 30 seconds. You want two more? Trader Joe's. Just more delicious. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Vodka or champagne? Both together. What? What is that? Is that really a thing? It's a cocktail. Yeah. You put a little. Is that really a thing? Well, maybe in Russia, but you put some champagne, a little bit of vodka, and like a raspberry. It's delicious. All right. You did it. Yay. Woohoo. What's my prize? You, um, you had, you, you had like three, three seconds to spare. So good Ooh. job. Is that really a drink? Yeah. It sounds like, it sounds like a, like a, like a bad hangover. They even served it at like a Steven Star restaurant in Philly. I think that's where I discovered it. It's delicious. Uh, okay. I do think that was a little bit of a non-answer because I'm sure your, uh, Russian friends are, are calling you a traitor right now, potentially because you did not choose the vodka. Um, so I, I was know. hoping and that I, I would. And I brought up American vodka earlier on the, on this. So I'm definitely in trouble. Ooh, that's true. <laughs> that's right. You didn't mention Tito's. You did mention Tito's. Um, but speaking of that, so I, I've, I kind of teed it up here, but tell us a little bit about, um, about your, uh, your upbringing. Uh, you've got a, a fascinating, uh, upbringing and, and journey. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, so um, I was born in the Soviet Union. I was born in Moscow, and then we lived there till I was uh, about six. And then we moved to Germany for a year and then moved to Philadelphia. So I grew up in Philly. I moved there at about age eight. But I kind of sp- spent my summers in Russia growing up with my grandparents. So I'm still a dual citizen, and I speak Russian. And kind of growing up, I would go back more often. Now that I'm in L.A., it's pretty far, so I don't go as often. But I, I went actually for my... Um, study abroad program had an alumni reunion a couple of years ago. So I, I went to St. Petersburg for that. I didn't realize that you were, a, that you had dual citizenship. That's pretty neat. Yeah. I mean, it could come in handy one day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. That's a whole, that's a whole other show. Different show. Yeah. That's a different, that's a different show. We could, we could get pretty fired up. Um, <laughs> so when you moved to Philadelphia, did you speak any English? 
No, um, I spoke no English. Actually, I spoke German, which, you know, at least I knew the alphabet. And I kind of had to start in like remedial class in my first grade and, and learn English. But I bounced right back. You're, you know, you're a fast learner when you're a kid and yeah. was in the advanced classes by third grade. So it's easy. That's cool. Yeah. What do you what do you think um, has that has your upbringing, you know, colored your uh, view of the world or how have you tapped into that in your, in terms of like your career or, you know, another aspects of your life? Has it come into play? Yeah, I think, um, I think it helps kind of helps remind me to think of things from different perspectives, you know, especially kind of traveling, getting the opportunity to travel to Russia and speak to my relatives there and hearing them describe the news as they, they see it. And then comparing that to the way it's described in the U S you really understand that like messaging and perspective are so important and so easily changed. So I think, um, it really helps remind me like when you're when you're planning a campaign or when you're working with different groups of people, the way that they react to something might be different and, and it could be cultural. I mean, I think you know this as well, kind of having done some Spanish speaking marketing and, and understanding that the way you, you speak to different audiences is important and, and being able to kind of speak directly to them and make them feel like, you know, you're you're making it custom for them, not just for anybody. What about things like um what about things like work ethic? Cause I, I do, I do feel like that you and I are similar in that, that sense. And maybe that's my, you know, Mexican American heritage and maybe that's your uh, Russian heritage, but things like that come into play. I, I feel like maybe that's part of um, what you bring to the table as well. Yeah. I mean, I think personally, I, I like the perspective of work smart, not hard. You know, I think use your resources wisely, don't overtax them, you know, and really like, I am not a big fan of busy work or kind of filling time and, and think, you know, it's important to, to really value your team's, you know, time and energy and, and use it um, appropriately. So what do you want to be when you grow up? If you could be anything besides a creative director, or maybe you, maybe this is in your in your plan for the next five years, but what would you do or what would you be doing? I was actually thinking about this, and I think in some ways I'm already starting to do it, but I would want to become an activist. Um, and I think kind of having the marketing and advertising training really prepares you on how to communicate. You know, in some ways, I think like to kind of bring it back to the idea of gender, even just being a female creative director is a form of activism because, you know, I think it's hard to kind of put a, a number on it right now, but they estimate between 20 and 30% of creative directors are women. So obviously there's a huge gender gap. And I think, you know, so like I mentioned before, having seen other women creative directors and working with them kind of inspired me to realize like I could do that too. And I think, even just like having this job and talking to people about it, you know, is the beginning of kind of advocating for, for this, this, right. You know, I think I've, I've also been involved with a lot of women's issues since high school and have, um, I've always, you know, thought it was really important to kind of promote other women alongside yourself and, and bring people up with you and sort of the idea of spotting talent that maybe doesn't have that same background that you're, you know, the right exact right background to your point, but you can see that they're competent, they can do the job and they can learn it. You know, that is also a form of activism. So in a way you're an activist too. Yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> I like that. 
Oh, you, you, yeah, you made up for it. You made up for it. Yeah, you there made up go. for stealing my thunder earlier. So that's good. <laughs> I am actually, but I am proud of that. That we do have, you know, a good contingent of 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 females in our in our uh, creative team. On our creative team, we have some folks on the on the East Coast. It's folks here in LA. So I'm pretty proud of that. And I think that um, you know, you you've definitely have become a role model for not just those folks, but everybody in the agency and, and, and even folks outside of our agency, you're, you're really active in terms of some of the, um, extracurricular things that we do, right. Uh, uh panels and, uh, being part of, uh, inclusive, inclusive diversity efforts and things like that. So you're definitely have become sort of a role model in that area as well. Um, so speaking of that, what's the, what's the best, what's the best lesson you've taken from a mentor? You know, have there been some mentors in, in your life that have imparted some really great wisdom that you still tap into today? Yeah, I think, um, honestly, one of the most, uh, effective things, and it's kind of hard is to really be vocal and to promote your own work. I think as women, we kind of forget to do that or we become embarrassed or feel like we're bragging. It's, I think it's a little bit of a gendered idea. So it kind of as personally, I have to push myself out of my comfort zone to talk about myself and to, to promote myself. But if you kind of want to get recognized and have people learn about what you care about and your work, that's really the only way to do it. So, I used to hate public speaking. I never raised my class in school and or raised my hand in school. And, you know, I think like I eventually learned, like I have to get over that. And now, you know, the more you do it, the, the easier it gets actually. So even things like this, you know, I think really help kind of practice and, and get over the idea of like talking about yourself. And so who, so who kind of helped you do that? Is that some of the folks that you mentioned earlier? Yadira was the one who specifically told me that, but I think that kind of the examples of everyone that I've worked with, they've really helped me to promote myself. And that gave me the the confidence to, to start promoting myself to other people. You know, I think once you have an ally who stands up for you internally at the company, you, you realize like, Hey, like I can do this and I can, you know, I can ask for what I want to work on or kind of present new ideas that maybe the, the team isn't thinking about and, and really develop your voice. So what are you reading right now? What, uh, what's inspiring you? Any podcast besides this one, Confessions of a Creative Director, which I'm sure you've subscribed to multiple times on all different platforms. But besides that, what other things are you reading? You know, any, any, anything that you want to recommend to the audience in really in relation to being a creative director, or maybe just even outside of that? Yeah. Um, actually, a book I'm reading right now is really interesting called How to Do Nothing, uh, Resisting the Attention Economy by Jenny O'Dell. And, you know, I started reading it because obviously we're in this period where we're forced to kind of do nothing. But um, her point is that kind of the attention economy is where we value time as money. So the idea that you constantly have to be productive with your time or show something for your time, whether it's work or self-improvement or exercise. Um, and I think it's interesting because her point is like, it's okay to just be a human and a body and time and place. And you don't have to constantly be productive. Like we're not machines, we're, we're living creatures. And we have to give ourselves the space to do nothing in order to be creative, in order to have ideas, in order to be introspective. 
and and just be human in a way. Um, so kind of almost the the antithesis of the, like the industrial revolution, where you know we're using kind of humans as methods of creation. Now you know I think it's the idea is like let's focus on who we are and what we want to do with our with ourselves outside of just productivity. Um, so I think her book is really interesting. Yeah, we'll put that uh, we'll put that in, in the uh, show notes. Yeah, I've always thought about that. I've always kind of played with this idea, and I'm sure it's not a, a unique one necessarily, but this idea of creative capital, right? As as creative directors, as creative people, we have like this bank of creative cap capital that we get to use, right? So it becomes that's one of the reasons why, to your point earlier, you know, busy work or or things that aren't really going anywhere they're they're a drain on your creative capital so why why use them you know you got to be really careful about that but i've always thought about well how do you how do you get how do you replenish your creative capital and i definitely think that one of those things is just obviously rest being able to just sort of free your mind um but i also think that it could be i know that when one of the projects that I've helped develop actually comes to life that replenishes my creative capital when they mm -hmm. don't, it's kind of like a, a double, a double dip, right? It's like you took it out of me when I created it and then you took it out of me cause it didn't, it didn't happen or whatever. What, what else do you think sort of, or in your mind, what else um, replenishes your creative capital? I think also um, like nature, like going outside, um, getting away from your computer or you know, I think like being outdoors has been known to not only like improve your mood, looking at trees, going on hikes, but just kind of getting away from thinking about all these things. Because I think when we're at our computers, like we're constantly bombarded with information or news or, you know, articles to read on how to adapt to the new economy. It's, it can be so much. Yeah. So the way to kind of reconnect with, a, you know, like for example, this author, she does bird watching. Um, you know, I've, I've actually been even taking like my art, art kits outside and doing like outdoor drawing or reading and just like being, you know, outside the house. And then another book I wanted to recommend that's been pretty popular the past couple of years is How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Mm. And interestingly, I mean, it's really, he's a kind of a mainstream academic theorist. He wrote The Omnivore's Dilemma about how to eat well. And this book is all about psychedelics. So it's how to use psychedelics to kind of yeah. your mind, change your mind. Gonna, are we going to add those to the bar cart? To oh, the 100%. 100%. That's going to be the special, the special AK cocktail. Ooh, um, I like it. The, the elixir. Um, but I think like, and that kind of ties into what Jenny O'Dell was talking about, like connecting with nature and connecting with ourselves and our minds. He's just using some extra, extra help to, to get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll add those to, we'll, we'll see what, our, we'll, we'll see what our, our parent company thinks about that. But yeah, we might have to sneak in some shrooms into something. Just try this. You know, you know, I always like to, to push their boundaries a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's hilarious. Um, okay, so we've come to that time in the show where we have to pay off the title, Confessions <laughs> of a Creative Director. So um, this is this has been a little tricky for some of the guests, but um, I'm going to put you on the spot here and and you know share a, a confession, something that you've been holding on to or want to get off your your chest. This is your time to do it. Not a lot of people are listening to the podcast yet. But maybe in the future they will, and they'll, they'll hear it. But go ahead. 
I was, I was thinking about, you know, I don't like confessing things. So this was a hard one for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, I thought I could share one of my earlier fun, like production, being a producer on site stories. Um, So I was just thinking about like when I was in New York and um, working at Civic, we had a client who was doing a TV promo during the summer. And I, it was like maybe a month after I started and I was assigned like a street team of brand ambassadors. I had like 20 actors following me around and had to take them to, we were doing an event in public parks where we were doing like a little pop-up, but you know, we had no budget and decided with the client that we did not need to apply for city permits because we weren't physically going to be set up. We just had people in place. So Uh, So I had no permits and I showed up with this roaming band of, you know, whoever to, to a bunch of city parks. We started in like Washington square park. And I basically, the park rangers would come up to me and be like, what's going on. I sent my staff off to go do their thing. And then I had to stall. I would basically stall the rangers as for as long as I could and just like back (laughs) up distract them try to keep the people there as long as possible and then once we were kicked out i'd take everybody over to the next park so we were in union square (laughs) until we got kicked out central park we got kicked out of bryant park they called private security on me so i was like dodging i'm basically blacklisted from all my yeah (laughs) you i will say you are pretty good at, at that you are pretty good at like um, chatting people up and, and charming them and like, look over here, look, you know, look over there and just kind of, but it was funny is that I think a lot of people don't realize that once you get on the ground and you're doing an activation, some kind of experiential activation, it gets like that. I mean, sometimes it gets, you know, it's like hand to hand combat or, you know, just kind of thinking on your feet, which I love. I get, I, I don't think I could do what you do. I, I tend to get a little bit embarrassed, but I know in the past, I mean, you got to do what you got to do, you know. And, shameless. And, I'm shameless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's awesome. Plead, plead ignorance, you know, distract, stall. Well, hopefully, hopefully there aren't any warrants out for your arrest or anything. And somebody from from the Parks Department in New York is listening to this podcast and knows, you know, where to where do you track you down? But yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, send, right. I'll send them to you. I'll send them to you. All right. Perfect. (laughs) Well, this has been great. I mean, um, you know, obviously, like I said, we've been working together, so I I definitely know a bit about you, but it's, it's been awesome getting to know you a little bit more and you sharing some of these, um, some of your thoughts and just your background. So I think it's super cool. And I I'm looking forward to getting back in the, um, office with you. We're going to add the mushrooms to the, uh, to the advantage bar cart, we're going to start uh, doing finger painting and watercolors everywhere, probably after we have the mushrooms and just, uh, you know, replenish our, our creative capital and start making some some cool stuff again. So thanks for joining the show. And uh, I hope to see you soon. Thanks for having me. And uh, next next one, we got to turn it around on you some more and interview you with these questions. Hey, bring it on, bring it on. Yeah, maybe you can maybe you can be the the guest host and uh, and we can turn the mic the mic uh, the mic around. I might start crying though or something. <laughs> no, I'm, just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. So we'll see you soon. Thanks for joining, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye. And that is a wrap on episode three of Confessions of a Creative Director. I want to thank my special guests today, 
Anastasia Kuryatova for a really insightful conversation. Love her thoughts. I think we might have to have her back on to discuss uh, brands as activists, uh, given everything that's going on. I think uh, I think that's a discussion worth having. So uh, stay tuned for more on that. Our theme music is composed by Still Have No Idea. So if you know these guys, let me know so I can get in touch with them. And playing us out this week is Yours Truly, as usual. This is another song from my song club, seemed uh, apropos. So that'll play us out. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. Subscribe to the podcast. Give us a review if you don't mind. That's a, that's a way to uh, boost the awareness of the podcast. So give us a good review will you appreciate that well that's it for now uh for more information on the show for show notes visit cdconfessions.com all right we'll see you next time on confessions of a creative director gonna burn it to the ground build it up again